Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast, where all your COVID questions are answered by Dr. Jason Kinderchuk. We also talk about why women dim their light, especially at work, and what you can do about it, ladies. And did you know that 3 million Canadians suffer with migraines? Michelle Dick shares her story and information about a chronic migraine support group in Canada. We live in a sexualized world, but at 76, my patients still had difficulty discussing sex. The Sunday Night Health Show starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. I just want to go bada-bing. Anyway, joining me on the line, you've heard his voice before. Fortunately, weekly on this show at the top of the hour, he's Assistant Professor Canada Research Chair at the University of Manitoba. He's also a contributor at Forbes. He studies emerging viruses, COVID-19, Ebola, and does outbreak uh, preparation and response. He is none other than the esteemed Dr. Jason Kinderchuk. Good evening, Dr. Kinderchuk. Good evening, Maureen. How are you doing tonight? Uh, you know what? It, certainly this week has been a different week, hasn't it? Uh, I think that there's a, a sense of real optimism uh, that, that's kind of coming forth. And I, I think maybe even, uh, you know, dare say a, 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 you know, a slight sigh of relief. Um, you know, we, we have a long ways to go, but but certainly it, it it just seemed like things were a little bit brighter this week. That is true. And, and I'm I'm curious why I'm not, I'm feeling a little dare I say, down <laughs> about this pandemic for the first time. I think that it hit, uh, my, you know, March 1st is tomorrow. Um, you know, we're, we're coming up really to just about a year when things uh, shut down. The, you know, I think there's been some confusion around the vaccines, some confusion around some of the public health guidelines, um, you know, the travel bans. So many businesses have been hit. So many people have lost their jobs. So many people who have suffered with mental illness and loneliness and um, so many other health conditions uh, where they might be in the hospital or and not be allowed to have visitors or people who have passed away and have not, you know, and have done that all by themselves. Themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many Zoom meetings and, and Facebook, so much mask wearing, although I do look better in a mask, I must admit. Um, but, you know, it's it's the first time in a year that it's actually kind of gotten to me, I have to admit. So I'm glad you, to hear you feel that um, there's some optimism. <laughs> well, I think that there is a sense, I mean, we, you know, from, from a personal standpoint, I mean, we've got family uh, you know, my, my in-laws are, are both uh, seniors. You know, my uh, father-in-law is 90. My mother-in-law is, uh, is 80, 81 now. Um, you know, and both have, uh, you know, health complications. So for us, you know, there's been this real sense all year long of uh, what happens if, because they are in that risk group. And then, of course, when the vaccines got announced, it was the question of, okay, now when will they get vaccinated? Um, you know, and, and that's been difficult to watch. It's been difficult to, you know, I think watch, you know, anybody that is in those high risk groups uh, having to be as isolated as possible through this. And, and you know, certainly, you, you know, you can't feel anything but your heart going out for them, um, just waiting and waiting for something to come through. And, and I think we're starting to see that. I think that, you know, with maybe the, the season started to change a little bit. The vaccine front certainly looks good. Um is it an immediate reprieve? No, but mm-hmm. I think it's the, the progression for us getting there. 
Yes. And, you know, I feel extremely fortunate, I have to say, but I'm one of those people that feels the pain of others. And, uh, you know, being in healthcare, I hear so many stories about how many people have suffered, um, you know, some of some of their stories, whether it be in the hospital or with their families or financial issues or relationship problems, um, you know, sexual health issues, intimacy issues. And so I'm constantly hearing uh, these stories. And and I, I saw something on Twitter where somebody, a physician had actually said, hopefully by the end of May, we'll have everybody who's at high risk, everybody who is at high risk will have been vaccinated. Anyway, it looks like we have a number of callers on the line. Uh, Shall we take uh, Mary first? Good evening, Mary. Thanks very much. I wanted to ask Dr. Kinderchuk a couple of questions. If the COVID-19 vaccine is so effective, why are they developing second and third generation vaccines? And then secondly... We've had four deaths over the weekend of people who are seniors, 70, 80, 90. Uh, And we have an outbreak at one of the nursing homes. I'm wondering if the two are related, although the media hasn't identified where those seniors are from. So I wonder if you could comment. Yeah, the, the, the second part I can't because I, I certainly don't know. And, uh, you know, if anything, we'll find out, you know, in the next couple of days, because it will be a big question, especially when it, when it has to do with, uh, with senior homes. The first question is, you know, is a little bit more straightforward. And I think when we look at science, what we have to appreciate is that um, there is never, you know, just kind of a single product that is going to be the perfect product. And certainly in vaccines, this is always the case. Um, you know, when we look at, at the vaccines that have been developed so far, um, certainly we have some really good vaccines that have, that have come forth. The question is whether or not they are going to provide long-term protection. So the reason that you see people continually developing vaccines is to try and, and find something that is actually going to be more impactful. So if these vaccines uh, only cover us for a year, do we have a second-generation or a third-generation vaccine that gives us longer protection and also maybe gives us broader protection. So do we see, you know, we get uh, better uh, antibody responses uh, within our nasal passage and within our, uh, you know, kind of uh, mucosa, uh, which is something that the, the current vaccines don't give uh, a really good spo- uh, response through. So, uh, you know, for us, it's, it's always trying to, you know, kind of uh, take what we've developed and refine it so that it's a better product uh, that, that is going to suit the needs of the public at that time. Thank you. We also have Ron on the line. Good evening, Ron. Yeah. Hey, Maureen. Um, I, I don't mean to place a burden on you, but uh, I'm a long hauler. All right. Uh-huh. And uh, I keep hearing these numbers uh, about uh, all the uh, variants and all this other stuff. Um, but there's always this number every week or every day that says so many people recovered. Uh-huh. Uh, do those apparent, quote unquote, recovered people include me? Because I'm not recovered. Yeah. That's a great question. Go ahead, Dr. Kinderchuk. Yeah, what I was going to say is that the, the recovered certainly basically covered people that are no longer hospitalized, but it doesn't account for people that have long-term symptoms. And I think that's one of the things that, that we certainly need to get across better in terms of our communication is that when we talk about people that are recovered, um, it, it does somewhat ostracize 
or remove uh, the, the appreciation for people that have these, the, these long-haul symptoms that we're still trying to understand. And, and I think we really need to get that message out about the fact that this is not a disease that everybody walks out of the hospital or, or, or walks away from after uh, you know, they've, they've you know, technically recovered from, from having any active virus replication. Um, there's a lot of people that have these long, long-hauler symptoms, and we don't know what this looks like. So I think that we're trying to get the verbiage to change a little bit, but um, certainly it's, it's going to take some time to, uh, I think, kind of fully get an appreciation publicly about what, what that burden looks like. That, that is a great point. I do think we need to raise awareness about the long haulers. I have CG as well on the line. Hello, CG. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Thanks. How are you? Great. Thank you. My question is, is there any illnesses that you cannot have the vaccination Good question. So, so far, a lot of it depends on uh, certainly allergic response. So people that have any sort of uh, allergies towards products that are within uh, the, uh, the vaccines themselves. We certainly know that there, were, there was discussion for people that had um, autoimmune or for pregnancy. Uh, the, the vaccines hadn't necessarily been approved for those, uh, you know, for people with, um, you know, with, with those, uh, you know, the, the different issues because of the like fact that di- they weren't tested well. With diabetes? Is yeah, that so, an issue? so diabetes, di- no, diabetes would still cover because diabetes is a high risk group. Certainly, uh, type one for uh, for, for high risk COVID. So people with diabetes should still get vaccinated. As far as I've seen, I haven't seen any information against that. Nor have I. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Dr. Jason Kindrachuk joins me. He is Assistant Professor, Canada Research Chair at University of Manitoba on all things COVID. Thanks for hanging on the line, Dr. Kindrachuk. And also Derek. I have Derek on the line. Hello, Derek. Hey, Maureen. Hey, Dr. Kindrachuk. How are you tonight? Very well. Yourself? Good. How are you doing, Derek? I'm not doing too bad. Uh, So I am wondering, uh, we've had two new uh, vaccines come in uh, to play through the uh, Canadian approval process, uh, so the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson. Um, what does that mean for the, the vaccination numbers? Uh, like, uh, does that mean that we're going to start ramping up really quick here? Um, and what, uh, how, does, uh, how does it affect the... Or, sorry, when can we... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm really sorry, I'm stumbling a little... When can we expect to see those vaccines coming in? Yeah, so great question, right? So listen, the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, certainly, I think it's the one that probably is going to give us uh, the, the most kind of mileage uh, in the shortest amount of time. So we're looking at, you know, the initial deal was 20 million vaccines, and there was an extra deal with uh, the their uh, subsidiary uh, in India, their manufacturer, for another 2 million doses. And I think those were slated for um, early summer at, at the latest, but they were going to start rolling in uh, at the end of March. Um, Johnson Johnson okay. still has to get approved, um, but but we're moving forward. And I think that's uh, when people talk about AstraZeneca being a potential game changer, I think it is because the numbers are on our side. Okay, thank you so much. We also have Ken on the line. Ken? Uh, yes, uh, I've been diagnosed with having a blood clot in my system. I've been off work on long-term disability for a year. Now, the thing is, I'm wondering, I've, I've been understanding that you'll have to be careful when you get the vaccine that you get the right one because uh, it will cause um, the effects of having uh, tiredness and uh, 
uh, you don't want to thin the blood out too much because uh, then it can also cause you another problem of uh, actual damage to your system. Dr. Kendrick? So I think, yeah, the, as far as blood clots and in blood thinning, I haven't heard a lot in regards to vaccines. Um, certainly something to, to you know, discuss with, with your healthcare practitioner. The, the side effects are a little bit, they're harder to decipher, right? So some people uh, have very little response to either uh, the first dose of the booster for Pfizer and Moderna. Other people, um, it's more pronounced. Certainly there's a lot of people I know who had no response on the first dose, but responded uh, you know, very hard on the second one and, and were fairly lethargic and had a, a mild fever. But again, those symptoms tend to last you know, 24 to 48 hours. They tend not to be very long in duration. And, and I think that's the thing, as long as you're getting appropriate medical care and you're in touch with your uh, general, general practitioner, um, you know, they will be able to help kind of guide you in regards to what to do and, and how to do it and how to monitor. Now, now, could the RNA vaccine induce the uh, production of antibodies that uh, could potentially increase the risk of blood clotting, uh, Dr. Kinderchuk? I don't think so. I mean, so far from what I've seen, at least with uh, with, with the phase three trials, um, I didn't see anything came out uh, that came out from there that suggested that there were those types of adverse events. Okay. Um, now, I also have Sarah on the line. <laughs> Oh, not quite. I have a question for you in terms of, uh, well, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine has been approved in the U S but we Canada health Canada required more information on manufacturing processes before we're going to. So that can be a little bit of a source of frustration for, for people. It's just kind of curious. And I know I've seen this with other medication approvals, uh, that sometimes they're approved quicker in the U S or, or Canada. Um, they seem to have different, um, uh, you know, different uh, prerequisites um, for approval. Um, so I do want to talk about that, but we'll go to Sarah, who's on the line. Hello, Sarah. Hello there. Yes, um, a, a good friend has allergies so badly, and she didn't start developing them noticeably until she was about 14, 15 years old. And um, somebody offered her at work uh, an almond, and she was going to take two, and she didn't even finish that almond, and her throat got tight so fast they took her around the corner where there was a doctor's office, and he gave her two shots or three shots, and then he was just going to call the ambulance because it was hard right. to get her out of it. So is it safe to be vaccinated? Anything that grows in trees seems to be what she has to stay away from. And is that all She should probably speak vaccine? directly with her physician, um, I would imagine. Yep. Yes. But thank you for the call. We are actually running out of time, and I do apologize for that, um, Sarah. Uh, but Dr. Kinderchuk, yes, I'd like to continue on more um, in terms of which we never got to. We were planning on talking about vaccine <laughs> comparison shopping. <laughs> so we'll have to do that next week, I think. <laughs> Well, hopefully there'll be another vaccine approved by next week. Let's so, hope so. We have we'll more, we, more that we can add to the cart. Anyway, thank you so much, Dr. Jason Kinderchuk. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Just listening to the news there, as Dave mentioned, uh, you know, have you ever been bucked by a horse? Because I have been <laughs> as a kid anyway, but I got right back on the saddle and continue to ride today. Um but I've always remembered that moment in my life, and there may be many moments that you remember as well. And joining me on the line 
is somebody who I have tremendous respect for, and uh, I want to talk about certain moments that women may have in their lives. She is a leadership coach, an award-winning C-suite executive with 20 years' experience. She coaches female leaders to live and lead bravely so they can create meaningful impact and design a life they love without burning out. She is none other than Jen Murtag, and she joins me from Steveston, British Columbia. Good evening, Jen. Good evening. What a great segue to this conversation. Getting yeah. right back on the horse. <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> to be honest with you, I really, I mean, I remember that incident every now and again here and there, but, um, you know, him bringing that up, you know, why, why horses buck? I'm, I'm quite interested um, in, in learning more about that uh, research. But I was also extremely interested in a post you put on Instagram about women dimming down, dimming themselves down, in other words. Um, not uh, They have patterns of um, hiding, and these are brilliant women, and, and the, some of the patterns include doing this before that or not being willing to take imperfect action or endless polishing and over-preparing. And I was very intrigued by that because we see this happening at work. I've, I've done it myself, um, and, and so I'd like to talk to you this evening about why women do that and why that's a problem, and then we'll get to uh, what women can do about it. Yeah, so it's a great question, and it's a complex one in terms of why do women dim their light? You know, I believe that a lot of women don't feel comfortable in letting themselves be truly seen. And so, yeah, some of these are hiding strategies that you mentioned. And uh, I'm sure you've heard this quote by Marianne Williamson, and she says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most brightens us. And so I remember the first time I heard that quote, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And so women are, um, you know, very consciously and, and often unconsciously playing small and dimming their lights. Um, and so I coach a lot of women who privately tell me their biggest dreams and visions for their lives. But when I ask them about how they can expand more deeply into it, they always have a lot of reasons why they shouldn't. And so I think that goes to say that, you know, a lot of women actually feel if we're expressing our radiance, if we're using our voice, we might also feel like physically unsafe. We might feel like somehow if we express our power, it means that there's less power for other people. And, you know, a lot of fears that come up for women when they think about, you know, playing bigger or expanding their radiance or, you know, sharing their brilliance. They think, oh, I might be attacked or I might be undermined or, um, you know, other people might feel bad about themselves or I'll be judged. And so, you know, these are all kind of real fears. Absolutely. And do we have that fear that um, somebody else may not think we're good enough or they might think if we speak up, they might think, who do you think you are? And I want I want to squash you. Yeah. And it's so interesting because. You know, without any overwhelming evidence to support that, <laughs> other than the thoughts in our head. And it's important to know that 80% of what creates our experience of a situation actually comes from inside of our own heads. So there's usually very little evidence to support that. But, you know, our inner critic certainly tells us that. Who do you think you are? What do you know about that? So I think it's just important to know that, you know, we all have self-doubt. We all feel self-doubt. And so the goal is really just not to let your self-doubt impact the action that you take. Is it that some people are able to hide their self-doubt better than others? Some are. Yeah, a lot of women, 
uh, their self-doubt is expressed in their communication and they utilize a lot of undermining speech patterns when they're trying to express something. And, and often that takes the form of, you know, oh, I might not be an expert in this or this might be a dumb idea, but or I'm at, you know, I actually disagree. So sometimes some women have a really uh, good way of feeling the self-doubt, but not letting it be expressed in their communication or body language. Uh, other women, you know, sometimes that's more of a challenge because we're used to, you know, we don't want to come across as being too arrogant. So we go to the other side of the spectrum, which is, you know, total humility and, and actually not using our unique voice. And, and that's another way in which we dim our light. Is not using our unique voice. Yeah, like what's, you know, everybody has a unique voice because everyone's experiences and strengths and gifts are different. And so, you know, I hear from a lot of women, well, I only want to speak up when I know I can add value. Okay, well, who gets to determine the value? You know, like how if, if you're determining the value, that it's likely your inner critic might tell you that that doesn't have value. So these are all the ways that we are consciously and unconsciously, you know, staying small um, because we fear. We fear criticism, we fear being judged, we fear, um, you know, not being accepted into the group or, you know, this is a double bind that a lot of women find themselves in. The more power women tend to have, the less they are liked. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Bingo. No, uh, perceived power. You know, I mean, I think we can say uh, it would be fair enough to say the more perceived power somebody has, Mm, um, because I I think perception, um, you know, is reality. And it may not be the power that somebody thinks somebody else has. Um, You know, I've experienced this myself. I'm sure you have as well. Um, You know, frustrations at work. Uh, You know, one example, I I was just for no reason, no apparent reason, just not given a straight answer about something. And, you know, when I asked the question, I couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out because I was given, you know, uh, a muddled answer. It wasn't, wasn't concrete. It wasn't correct. It kept they flip-flopping back and forth. And then finally, I just thought, forget this. I'm going to go to the person who has the answer. And so I went directly, you know, it took me a while uh, because you're working in a team. And, and uh, so I went to the person, I asked the question, they gave me a straight answer. And then I went back to the people that I had asked. And I said, here's the answer in case you two are wondering, <laughs> you know, um, and I felt like a jerk, <laughs> to be honest with you. And it was It was very frustrating, but it was kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, now I can make a decision because I have the answer. I can now make a decision with this. But, you know, it was really preventing me from moving forward on some other requests that had been made. And Mm -hmm. and so you know, what, what is that about? And, and I have to say, I felt, you know, I was probably dimming myself earlier by believing them, you know, that they didn't really give me a straight answer. Well, I think what's beautiful there is you followed your intuition. And I think that's something that a lot of women disconnect from because we are disconnected from our feminine power, which is actually very anchored into our intuition. You know, 100% of your intuition is fully developed, but your ability to trust it isn't. So uh, that's the gap that a lot of women uh, need to close. So by following our gut, by following our intuition, you know, we're very rarely led astray. It sounds to me like you intuitively knew there was an answer. And so you, you know, went, went about the way to actually find. Um, and so, you know, I'd just be curious as to 
also, what made you feel bad about that? Because that is a common experience for women. Where then, you know, we make ourselves feel guilty because we didn't follow, you know, the rules or the linear path. Um, and women, you know, for the most part, we are socialized uh, to be pleasing and to be nurturing and to be caring of others and aware of others. And so sometimes when we feel like we're straying from some of those ways in which we are socialized, that can feel um, unsafe, uncharted territory. Uh, and it, I think it's really important to know that a big part of this is due to biological wiring. And I think that women forget that for thousands of years, thousands of years that we were dependent upon others for survival. It's really only in the last hundred years that women have been able to survive on their own. So knowing what others thought about us and where we stood actually enabled our survival. Yeah, it, <laughs> so yeah. We are biologically wired to care what other people think, other people think, because for thousands of years, our lives depended upon that. So it's going to take a while for us to rewire that. And yet there does seem to be people who do not care what you think, <laughs> what others think. I happen to be one who does kind of care what others think, and that's probably why I felt... You know, I felt a little let down. I felt a little disappointed. Like, you can't give me the straight answer, you know, and, and, I, and I knew that they wanted to hold on to some power because of that. That's why they weren't sharing the answer with me, because they wanted to be the ones to, you know, make decisions, make these particular decisions. Um, yeah. yeah. And I just think, you know, to mention in that is you kind of mentioned there, you know, there are some women that, you know, it seems like they don't really care what other people think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be by and large one of those women. And that's been a real change for me. Uh, Really, I've been able to kind of pivot my self-worth from coming from external affirmation and approval to actually measuring success against my own standards and values. Mm -hmm. So that's been a huge pivot. You know, did I show up with my values in check? Um, did, you know, I make the right decision there? Do I feel good about that decision? How can I release other people's, you know, kind of feedback, which is really more about them than Mm -hmm. me. Uh, so I think that that's a big pivot for women. If you can let yourself shine more deeply, it's about moving from that self-worth coming from really external validation and approval to measuring your success against your own standards and values. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here and Jen Murtag is my guest and she is a business and life coach. Um, Jen, I have a, an email that uh, has come for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you out there have a question for Jen, the number to call is one 399 Dear Maureen, love your show. Great guest. Perfect timing for me at this time in my career. I always feel like I need to learn more or be more experienced for that promotion. I'm always waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and apply. Recently, I've seen two guys go for and get positions for which I was, quite frankly, more qualified. When will I feel ready to go for it? And what would you recommend for me to move forward in the workplace? And she signs it, Scared Sarah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, this is incredibly common, uh, you know. And, you know, there was actually a, a really big research study done many years ago where, uh, you know, even women and men with the same qualifications, women feel like they need to be uh, at least have 90% of the qualifications of the jobs that they're applying for, where men feel comfortable applying for roles if they have actually around 30% of the qualifications that um, are required. So there's like, there's a big gap there in terms of sometimes men overestimating their abilities, but women 
very, very often underestimating um, their ability to qualify. And and so, first of all, it's really important to know that, um, you know, applying for a job is you don't need 100 percent of the qualifications in order to apply. So, you know, often I say to myself, like, what overwhelming evidence is there that I need to have 100 percent of these qualifications in order to show that I'm interested and apply for that job? So women, and this is, you know, this is also a very, like, good student habit, uh, uh, an old habit for women that, you know, I'll just be tapped on the shoulder and, uh, and, and be able to get the promotion. I remember, you know, back when I was in my early 20s, I was working for the Vancouver Canucks in the marketing department, and it was very clear I was not going to get promoted unless I asked for it. And so what I did is I actually, uh, you know, came up with, looked at my job description, looked at everything that I was hired to do, and two years later, what I was currently doing, how much I'd taken on, how much revenue growth I had led, and I actually sat down with my supervisor and said, I just wanted to show you, here's what I started and here's where I am now, and I, you know, I believe I'm very deserving of a promotion. And so that can feel really scary. It actually takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage to ask for what you want as a woman, and we're not socialized this way. So I really like to call up on tiny steps of bravery. Uh, so it's really about, you know, what, what one small step of bravery can you take this week? Because here's the thing, um, you know, a lot of women feel, oh, when I feel more confident, then I'll apply for the role. And I have to say that I believe that there's a whole myth around confidence. I believe there's this glorious never feeling confidence is actually not coming for women. In fact, the more you stretch, the more you expand, the more self-doubt you're going to feel. And so it's just coming to that acceptance that, oh, gosh, I feel this self-doubt. Um, am I ready for this? Because the inner critic will tell you, oh, you're not ready for this. And so it's really important to know the inner critic often drives your actions. So being able to notice and label it. Oh, okay. Is there any overwhelming evidence to support that I'm not qualified for applying for this promotion? Hmm, no. What evidence would there be to support that I am qualified to get a promotion? And then look for that evidence. So I don't know if that's helpful at all. Okay. I think it's important just to note all the ways that we do hold ourselves back. Um, and most of the women I work with, they go after what they want. And that's what I coach them on, which can feel really uncomfortable and like you're stretching. And so sometimes it's hard to do that on your own. You need a bit of an accountability partner and someone that's pushing you and sees your brilliance. And sometimes when you see that reflected back to you, you also remember who you are. Yeah, I think it's important to know that, uh, you know, that this is a very common issue uh, for many women. You mentioned earlier about bringing your principles and values to work. And, um, you know, uh, I do a lot of project work and a lot of contracts. And I remember we had a team of about 50 people. Maybe it was more than that, but a percentage of them, about 10% of them, were not getting paid appropriately. And so I asked the question, why aren't these people getting paid appropriately? There's particular uh, labor laws. And I was given an incorrect answer. <laughs> and I just <laughs> put it at the back of my head because I was so busy. And then eventually when I was able to look it up, you know, check it out myself and figure it out, I realized, hey, this is a law. You know, these people need to be paid this way. And, and I often wondered if that was held against me. And so do people... Uh, do, do you find that uh, when people bring their principles or values to work, um, can it hold them back? Can it actually prevent them from advancing? 
Well, it really depends, uh, circumstantial, who you're reporting into, what the culture is like at the organization. Um, And when I say values, I'm talking about core values. So what are those things that are, you know, so important to you that you're going to draw your line in the sand around? Uh, And I think it's important to note that your core values are not necessarily the core values that are held by the company or held by your boss. And so that's why it's it's important (laughs) to get into an organization where you feel that there's a values alignment or else you're going to feel like you're in values violation all the time. So let's say equality is one of your core values and you get into situations in which men are being promoted all the time or, um, you know, diversity, inclusion and equity isn't taken into account. That's probably going to trigger you quite often. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a question like, do you want to stay in a kind of organization where you feel your values are being violated all the time? Like these are some really hard questions we have to ask ourselves where, when we're working within these systems, it's the ocean that we're swimming in. And so, you know, a, a question that I would often ask when I was interviewing at places is, um, you know, I read on your website that your core values are this. Um, can you tell me how that's demonstrated by the senior leadership team? So interviews are often just as much for you as they are for the person interviewing you. So I would ask some hard questions yeah, when yeah. I got into those rooms. Yeah, you make a great point. And, you know, and I will say to this company's credit, they knew the right thing to do and they actually did it. But, you know, some people were, you know, jealous that other uh, employees were making more than they were. And that can be an issue, too. And and, and salary should be private. But um, <laughs> anyway, there's, there's so many issues. Um, it's just such tremendous work that you do, Jen. How can... Uh, people get a hold of you to uh, glean some of your brilliance and your your coaching and your wisdom? Oh, thanks, Maureen. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. They can add me on LinkedIn. I'm also really active on Instagram. It's Jen Murta Coaching. And um, my website's jenmurtagh.com. And that's M-U-R-T-A-G-H. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for joining the program this evening, and we'll definitely get you back. Uh, Many women have been affected by the uh, pandemic in their work, so things are going to be shifting as we uh, um, close in on this pandemic, and hopefully that will be Mm -hmm. happening soon. So take care and stay safe, my friend. Thanks, Maureen. It's time for the Bedroom Bulletin. It's time for the time you go to bed with me. Well... Coming into the final strokes of the program, the Sunday Night Health Show. I did want to mention last week, I think loneliness is a huge issue, especially in this pandemic. And I think it's been brought to the forefront uh, in this pandemic. And hopefully we are more mindful of those who are lonely. And um, if you can reach out and touch someone in some way, I think that would be a wonderful thing. Last week I did a segment on loneliness and I received this lovely email from a listener and I do love it when you share your ideas especially when they are ideas intended to help other listeners Um, so she wrote uh, dear Maureen there are online classes YouTube videos Facebook painting lessons etc I learned how to host zoom meetings and so I organize reunions and get-togethers with different groups of people that I have met over the years work people school chums traveling companions it's good for me and it's good for them and it's fun too thank you so much for uh, sharing that 
email. That was um, very lovely. And if you have any ideas of how to combat loneliness, feel free to email me, nursetalkathotmail.com, or you can give me a call, the number to call, 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. You can text me there as well. I wanted to share with you a story uh, from the clinical practice this week um, about a patient of mine who talked to me about her first marriage, which was short-lived, about five or six years, she said. It had been like 50 years prior, and she had a couple of children, and, and they were well-grown by this stage. Um, but she said she just felt she never deserved love, and she felt that that was her one strike at the bat, and, uh, and that was it. Um, and so she wanted to talk to me about somebody who had taken a particular interest in her. And she was actually 76 years old. And, and she said uh, that she couldn't believe, she, she said, you know, someone has taken an interest in me and I can't believe it. She was a patient that I had seen maybe five or six years before about another issue, um, but she had not been in a relationship for a very long time and was very, very stunned when somebody was attracted to her. He told her how gorgeous she was was and he sent her flowers and he bought her jewelry as well and he and he took her for dinner or they would um, actually get takeout dinner and, and go and sit in the park um, and but she said you know she had a problem and she couldn't actually get the words out and I think a lot of people have uh, difficulty because of the way people are socialized around the subject of sex. Um, and so they have a really hard time talking about it. And she said, I mean, the conversation was where it was where I was filling in the words for her, basically. So you can imagine, she's like, but I have a problem with, um, uh, 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 and I said, sex. And she said, yes, yes, sex. Uh, it's, then she said, but it's actually been that I have not been able to, um, 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 uh, and I said, experience orgasm. Yes, yes, she said. Um, and, and, you know, the conversation went on like this. Of course, I was a little bit aware that uh, this wasn't a too good to be true situation because too good to be true situations, you know, are never, are never good. And they get inside your head and, um, and then it's actually a, a psychological trauma um, or a psychological injury. And so that wasn't the case here. Um, he, by all accounts, he seemed like a, a very nice gentleman. She was attracted to him. He was attracted to her. Um, but she was fearful, fearful that after all these years, uh, things wouldn't work. And she said she wasn't able to experience orgasm with him. Uh, but self-stimulation, she could. And so and she said, it wasn't her problem with self-stimulation. Of course, I had to fill in those words. And, I, and then she said, it's with, um, 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 and I had to say, intercourse. Yes. So this entire conversation, uh, she could not use any of the words that were associated with sex or sexuality or intimacy. Um, but now um, she felt that she was involved with this fellow and uh, the business of, you know, 
And I filled in again, orgasm, (laughs) experiencing orgasm had not been resolved in the past. And so she was reluctant to engage in sex with this man, yet was wanting an intimate relationship. And uh, it had been decades since she had had sex. Um, but she said it was easier when he used his tongue or his fingers. And, and so really around this, um, around orgasm, it's important uh, for women to understand that only um, about 30% of women can actually experience orgasm with penetrative sex and 70% of women require clitoral stimulation to experience orgasm. And, and oftentimes at midlife and, and beyond, women will say that it takes them longer to experience orgasm or it doesn't happen at all like it used to. And so she thought she was a, um, you know, she was perhaps a lost cause. But we also talked about her uh, being inside of her head. But before we do the head thing, I want to get back to the <laughs> vagina thing. Um <laughs> She, uh, you know, had had been prescribed uh, localized estrogen therapy some years prior, but actually uh, had stopped taking it because a lot of women don't realize that low dose localized estrogen therapy is lifelong therapy. It um, it is not something. It's the only symptom I should say of menopause that doesn't go away, unlike hot flashes and night sweats, which will go away for most women. Um, after menopause, but vaginal dryness does not go away. And so it's important that you either use a personal moisturizer and there's only really two or three that I recommend, Femme, Gynotroph, and Repigyne. Uh, those have been approved by Health Canada. If you hear of anything with like a fancy name on it or whatever, it doesn't have an applicator, they expect you to use your finger to insert it, forget it. It's not going to work. Um, and it's not likely not been approved by Health Canada. Somebody has just conjured it up in a a lab in Richmond, British Columbia or something. Um, not, and they might say that it's natural. They may, you know, cause this natural word, you know, that's another thing, but anyhow, fem, P H E M M E repagyne, R E P A G Y N and, um, gynotroph are the personal moisturizers. Those are hormone free. A lot of women don't want to have any kind of estrogen, maybe if they've had a history of, of estrogen-dependent breast cancers, so they don't want to use any estrogen. Um, but the low-dose localized estrogens are pretty safe, very safe, in fact. Um, and also women can have a CO2 laser as well. The, the most common one that I am aware of is the Mona Lisa Touch. So that's another uh, way to combat vaginal dryness, which can lead to low desire, painful sex, and it can also prevent orgasms um, or for, prevent women from experiencing orgasms and they don't realize. But the other thing about it is this woman was talking about, you know, she just couldn't relax. She just was inside of her head um, the whole time during sex, fearful that, that, you know, it had been too long or that, you know, he found her attractive. And, um, you know, and, you know, attraction doesn't end at a certain age. You know, a 16-year-old might think that a 35 year old is is old and um but you know and a 35 year old might think a 55 year old is old and yet there can be i don't know if you're watching the series younger <laughs> you should because it's good um but there is a 40 year old she's actually 43 in real life um and she is in love with a 26 year old so you know what uh, attraction is about brain chemistry it's about a lot of different things um and so it's to be surprised that somebody is attracted to you 
uh, you know, can actually uh, kill the moment, uh, if you will. And it was. She was getting way, way too much inside of her head. And, and she was thinking about, uh, you know, she was saying her stomach wasn't flat and, you know, her, her skin was crepey and, you know, and so she was nervous and she was also, uh, had a, a comorbidity. And so she was tired as well. And, and I also explained that, um, in order to experience orgasm, you know, it's like an orchestra, like everything has to be working well. <laughs> the relationship has to, um, be, uh, mutual and consenting and happy. You have to want to be there. You can't be too tired or feel experience, be experiencing pain. Um, you know, you have to be in the moment and you can't be thinking about a thousand other things or, or being a self-critic in the bedroom um, because that's actually going to impact your ability to experience orgasm and also the expectations around why aren't I having an orgasm here? I'm going to explain a little bit why you might not be having an orgasm with um, thrusting sex um, and in my next segment. But, uh, you know, the experience of an orgasm is um, it's really, a, you know, that moment, you know, really being in the moment um, and being, you know, in touch with yourself and also being confident, being vulnerable, being able to express yourself uh, sexually um, and trust, having trust with the person that you're with, being that it be a loving relationship or even if it's not a loving relationship, if it's as long as it's a, you know, it's an attraction and the, the goal is that, you know, both of you are uh, pleasuring one another. That's the mutual side of things. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. So into experiencing an orgasm and uh and it's important that all of the instruments are all in tune uh, because if one thing is out of tune it can actually impact your ability to have orgasm if you're under a lot of stress for example and who isn't under a lot of stress these days and of course these days you know with couples um under lockdown for a long time now and uh you know you're living with less loving and more laundry, um, you know, and also the kids at home and, you know, taking care of parents and worrying about this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, lying in bed there with somebody that you're attracted to and and worrying or being off somewhere else and not getting off, that can be a problem. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.